We are into the book of Daniel this morning. We're into Daniel chapter seven. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there are blue hardback Bibles all throughout the room. You can grab one of those and turn to page 884. But I'd love for everybody to have a copy of God's word in front of them. We're looking at Daniel chapter seven. Uh, this may be somewhat of a strange passage to you, maybe unfamiliar, but uh, it's really at the heart of what Daniel is all about. We're looking this morning at Daniel chapter seven, just two short verses, and then we'll dive into one of the most famous stories in the Bible, uh, the story of Daniel. With that in mind, hear God's word to us out of Daniel chapter seven, verses 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen, would you be seated and let's pray together as we dive into the story of Daniel. Now, Father, I thank you for this incredible story of Daniel. Now, Father, I thank you for the inspiration that it gives each one of us on our faith journey. And Father, I thank you that you are the ancient of days. Uh, you hold all of time in your hand and that you have given dominion to the Son of Man, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask that we would be made by the power of your Holy Spirit more and more in his image for the days to come. Thank you for calling us to this life, to this valley, and to this moment right now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So where would you say you are on your faith journey? You know, it's been an interesting past couple of months and, uh, you know, year and a half, but where do you think you are on your faith journey right now? Uh, for many of us, we may say that we're sort of floundering, right? We may be a little stuck. Uh, maybe you've gotten a little sideways. Uh, I was talking about this very question yesterday with some people, and they used the term, they are conflicted, right? They're spiritually conflicted. Uh, you know, a few weeks ago, if you were here, I suggested that where many of us are is sort of like when baseball players get the yips, right? What are the yips? It's when a baseball player can't throw a strike for some reason, uh, well, wherever you are on your faith journey, right, whether you are like 12 or 82, I think it's helpful to know that he gave us stories, <laughs> as Richard Pratt used to say. Uh, the way that we can see where we are in our faith journey is God gave us stories. And I know we all want sort of like a life principles, but sometimes I think there's something profound in just looking at a story that is captivating and sometimes what you'll find in the best stories is that the best stories are beyond your story and it's bigger than your story, but your story is part of the bigger story. Uh, who here has seen the movie uh, Inside Out, the Pixar movie? Anyone seen Inside Out by Pixar? I don't really like to talk about Pixar movies because Caroline and I have never really recovered from the first like five minutes of Up. If you've seen Up, don't do it. Don't, you'll cry. I don't want to talk about it. I shouldn't even brought it up. But in the Pixar movie, Inside Out, it's all about child development and about the emotions that kids experience. But you know, who's the main character in the movie, Inside Out? Well, it's actually you, the audience. Because what you realize is you're replaying your own childhood and your own formative experiences. And there's a fascinating aspect to the Bible where 
it tells us our story by telling Daniel's story, but really, it's not really about our story, and it's not really about Daniel's story, right? These story is about King Jesus, right? And we only really know our story when it is like set to the tuning fork of the story of Jesus. So with that, where are you in your story? Well, let's look at David's story and his life, and let's try to see if you can use it as a tuning fork to set your own life right now. All right, so Daniel, if you look down in your Bible, hopefully you've got one open in front of you. Daniel is probably one of the most familiar stories to us in the Bible, right? This is where we get that famous story of Daniel in the lion's den, right? People who have never been to church uh, are sometimes familiar with that idea of being thrown to the lions or being in the lion's den, right? Daniel stands up for his faith and he gets thrown into a pit with lions, right? Very famous story. Another famous story, and uh, I think it's chapter three of Daniel, is Daniel's buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, say that five times fast, these three buddies get thrown into a fiery furnace because they won't bow down to a big golden image. They stand up for what they believe and they get thrown into a fire, but God delivers them, right? And then Daniel's also where we get this famous phrase, the writing on the wall. Have you ever heard somebody say that? You know, oh, you, that, yeah, I see the writing on the wall. I see where this is headed. Well, that phrase comes to us out of Daniel 6 when the king sees literally a hand writing on the wall, right? So Daniel is very familiar with us, but uh, we know these stories maybe individually, but for some of us, we've never looked at like the big story of Daniel. And if you look at Daniel, you'll see that you know, it has a very simple structure. Chapter one is its own standalone story. Chapter two is its own story. Chapter three is its own story. Chapter four and five and six. Each of the first six chapters are sort of these famous stories, right? Daniel in the lion's den, Daniel six. But what gets strange is in Daniel chapter seven through 12, the second six chapters, Daniel in tone shifts to something prophetic and apocalyptic. Yeah, I'm using both of those words in their technical term. They are prophetic and they are apocalyptic. And apocalyptic means it is a revealing. And so it's all about visions and dreams and kingdoms rising and falling and where this world is headed. And for many of us, uh, if you've tried to read the book of Daniel, you are like, you know, you're like tracking with it. You're like going along, everything's fine. Maybe you're bouncing up and down a little bit. And then it's like, you like run into this like brick wall, right, in chapter seven because all of a sudden the tone changes and it's about 70 weeks and it's about these four kingdoms and there's beasts and we really don't know what to do with it. And many of us may think, can we just go back to like the simple stories? Uh, well, what I wanna suggest to you is uh, something that Dale Ralph Davis, uh, who's a commentator, pointed out. And he said, we can't let the second half of Daniel scare us too much. And uh, the way that he explained it was he said, look, what's the, what's the greatest mystery to a man? What's the greatest mystery to a man? A woman. <laughs> and Dale Ralph Davis points out, but even though my wife, understanding my wife is a lifelong series of humiliations and struggle, even though pursuing this woman is this thing that I don't quite always understand, it didn't stop me from loving her and marrying her and pursuing her. And so Dale Ralph Davis argues, therefore, even though you may not understand everything in Daniel, that's not a reason to be intimidated by it. In fact, let it fascinate you and draw you in and see it as a lifelong pursuit of understanding what this is. 
So when we finish, we're gonna just dip, we're just gonna like dip our toe into the prophetic. And in fact, the passage we read out of Daniel 7 was not from the famous stories, which many of us know already. It was actually from the prophetic section. And I did that on purpose. Uh, so all that to say, let's go back to this idea about where you are on your faith journey. And what I wanna suggest to you is one of the ways that you can sort of do in a self-assessment of where you are is to step back and say, what are the um, catalytic experiences that we have that propel us into deeper faith with Christ, right? So um, you know what a, a catalytic converter is? Does anybody know what a catalytic converter is on a car? I don't. If you know, I'm very impressed. But a catalyst is something that sparks greater growth, right? A catalytic converter sparks something into the car that makes it go faster. Well, what are those catalytic experiences in your story that propelled you to deeper faith or curiosity? Um, I, I think what I would suggest to you is when you and I look at Daniel, and, and maybe you've known Daniel since you were like five, and you don't think there's anything here for you because you know it already. Well, what I wanna suggest that you do when you look at Daniel this morning is step back and ask yourself, are there key catalytic experiences that Daniel has that shape him to be a model for you and me? And do I have similar catalytic experiences so let's go through what these experiences are. So, um, you know, we could come up with a list of 20 things, but these are sort of the five things that I would suggest to you that are ways for you to assess where you are in your faith journey and whether you are being propelled into deeper discipleship. All right, you know what the first catalyst is? Anybody wanna guess? It is my, is my least favorite of all of them. Uh, I would suggest to you that a catalyst for deeper discipleship, the number one one, is suffering, suffering. Look at Daniel chapter one. The book of Daniel starts off with deep suffering. Now, if you know the story of the Old Testament, uh, you'll know that God raises up a nation, the nation of Israel. They have a commission, a calling to be a light to the nations, but they fail in that commission. And so God exiles them. He sends them to Babylon for 70 years to suffer until they can come back to the promised land. And the book of Daniel is in the heart of that story because Daniel is a teenager who has been sent to Babylon. And he's out here away from his family, away from his home, away from everything that he knows, away from the corporate worship of the one true God that he knows, and he's all alone with his friends. And he's suffering. And then as you, of course, know, if you're familiar with the Bible, Daniel and his friends suffer in some profound ways. You know, in chapter three, his friends are told to worship the golden cat or the, the golden image of Nebuchadnezzar. And of course, they will not bow down, and so they get thrown into a fiery furnace, right? That's some deep suffering, wouldn't you say? And then, of course, Daniel being thrown into the lion's den. The reason we resonate with that story is because it's a story of profound suffering. And, uh, you know, for many of us, uh, we think about our suffering as like the thing we most want to avoid, right? Isn't that the thing, like, suffer? how do I avoid suffering in this life? But, you know, the irony of life is that the moments of our deepest suffering are often the moments when your life actually starts to be settled on what matters the most. Has that, has that proven true in your life yet, that when you have had a profound moment of suffering, there is a, a sobering of life? 
there is a refocus for what matters the most. You know, and I think the reason the story of Daniel resonates with us, this image of this, you know, sort of orphan teenager off in Babylon with just a couple of buddies being thrown in fiery furnaces and being thrown to the lions, that resonates because each one of us has had unique suffering in this life. The question is, though, do you see your suffering as something to avoid and ignore? Or do you see it as a true catalyst for deeper faith? Uh, the good news is, if you believe this, that suffering really can reorient the direction of your life. I've got some great news for you. You know what it is? You're suffering. I don't know if anybody's told you that, but I know it's true, and you know it's true. But has anybody told you that? This past year and a half has been an incredibly difficult time on everybody. You know, last year, this time last year, we started a daily devotional as a church, and we called it the Ephraim Co-op. And the idea there was we were playing on this idea of Ephraim. It's a name in the Bible. And if you know the story of the Bible, uh, this guy named Joseph names his son Ephraim because it means bearing fruit. But Joseph names his son Ephraim bearing fruit. And he says, I did it because I am in the land of suffering. But even in the land of suffering, I can bear fruit. So friends, you are in the land of suffering. And for the foreseeable future, we are going to be. But do you see this season as a catalyst for change or are you just trying to avoid it and ignore it? Um, I mean, I want to ignore suffering. I want to avoid it. Who doesn't? Uh, but friends, to think biblically, right? Could it be that God has used this season and is calling you to see your suffering right now as an opportunity for deeper faith? Um, God had a lot in store for Daniel, a lot of suffering, but also a lot of hope. So that's the first catalyst, right, that I would suggest that you're going to find all throughout Daniel. And just so you know, you are welcome to join us in the daily devotional every morning this week. It is on the app. It is printed out on the welcome station. And guess what we're going to read this week? <laughs> the book of Daniel. So catalyst number one is suffering. How are you seeing suffering? The second catalyst that I would suggest that propels you and I further on our faith journey is deep community. And I don't just sort of mean community in the sense that like we have friends and are surrounded by people because for many of us, we can be around a lot of people and still feel incredible, incredibly lonely, right? Now, there are people here in this room or watching online that may have a lot of people around them, but they're really lonely, right? And so where is God's grace in the story of Daniel? Why are these poor teenagers being thrown in fiery furnaces? And why is Daniel, when he's 80, being thrown to lions? Well, if you read the book of Daniel, one of the signs that there is God's grace in Daniel's life is God gives Daniel deep friends. <laughs> he gives him a deep community of people. And when you read in Daniel chapter one, they have names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or those are their given names. And then, of course, if you read the story, what's beautiful about it, right, is when Daniel gets promoted, uh, later on in chapter two, Daniel says, hey, well, if you're gonna promote me, can you promote my friends as well? And then, of course, there's this uh, story about of how Daniel and his friends are supposed to eat certain kinds of food that would have been against God's law. 
So what are these teenagers supposed to do? They're now they're in this situation, they're being told by those in authority to break God's law, what are they gonna do? Well, in Daniel chapter one, you know what Daniel does? Daniel goes to his friends and he says, guys, what are we gonna do? And they come up with like, I love this, but the most teenage boy answer ever, right? They're like, well, we're not gonna eat it, we're just gonna eat vegetables. And there are some people who think this is like some kind of divine diet plan. I don't know, maybe it is. It's good to eat vegetables, but I don't really think that's the point of the story. I think the point of the story is these teenagers are coming together with an idea of how they are gonna stay faithful in the midst of a culture where they're being pressed on every side. But what's really beautiful about it, and if you're a teenager in the room, what I want you to lean into is to see your friends who follow Jesus is part of that deep community of people who can support you through the days ahead. And that is God's grace. <laughs> That's God's goodness to you. It's not just about being a part of the crowd, it's about, it's about having deep friends who love Jesus, who are gonna spur you on to follow him more and more. Uh, friends, I don't know if you have that kind of deep community, but if you look in the bulletin this morning, I think we're offering, how many, Scott, seven? Where's Scott, is Scott here? There you are, Scott. Can't, I can only see half your face for some reason, I don't know why. Yeah, we have seven small groups that we are launching in the next couple of weeks. Uh, they're on topics like sacred marriage, or uh, there's one on being outnumbered. If you have more than four kids at home, you can join a small group. Guess which one I'm gonna be in, right? <laughs> uh, but there are opportunities for you right now, today, literally in your lap, to reach out and find deeper community. And it's not just about being social, it's not just about dinner, and dinner is great, I love dinner, I love food, but it's about finding Christ followers who can be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego for you. So I don't know if you've had that in your faith journey. Have you ever been part of a small group? Um, one of the most formative experiences of my Christian walk is uh, right after Caroline and I got married, we joined a small group. And I gotta, I'll be totally honest, I was terrified. I was, I, and I'm an extrovert, as you can tell. I'm an extroverted guy, and I was really, really intimidated to join a small group. And then it did not help that the guy who was leading the small group was literally a rocket scientist with a PhD from Stanford. Not even kidding, he worked for NASA. Uh, but friends, we still keep in touch with those families after you know, years and years. Um, Daniel had it. Daniel had it in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Um, I've had it. I would love for you to have it. Jesus had it. Jesus had his 12 disciples. And within that 12 disciples, who did he have? He had three that were his key guys. Do you have it? Where are you in that faith journey? You know, the third sort of catalyst that I would suggest that you sort of lean into right now uh, is serving. So if you read the book of Daniel, what, what stuck out to me this past week as I was reading it was Daniel is a believer in God, right? He loves the Lord. You remember uh, we talked about Ezekiel last week. Ezekiel calls him one of the most righteous guys ever. All right, so Daniel is this righteous guy, but he's living in this world as an exile. He is not in a country where people value what he values. Daniel's trying to be faithful to the God of the Bible, and there are incredible societal pressures for him to deny his faith. But what's fascinating, 
And what I want you to hone in on, especially if you're a teacher or an administrator in this room, is if you read the book of Daniel, notice the strategy that Daniel employs in his calling. You know, we would maybe think that like a faithful believer would sort of like work against King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is this bad pagan king. He's awful. You know, I've got to figure out how to slip some poison into him and give him the justice of God, right? <laughs> that may be what we would do. But what's fascinating when you read the book of Daniel is the way that he treats Nebuchadnezzar or Darius or whoever is in charge, he's always incredibly supportive of that leader. He says things like, oh, king, may you live forever. That's the first thing that he says when, when he's down in the pit and the king is like, are you alive? He says, may you live forever. Daniel sees, even in his place of suffering, his job, the thing he gets paid to do, as the place where he is supposed to be serving. You know, I think many of us get sort of tripped up thinking that like our service has to be like, I'm gonna go work at the church or I'm gonna go like down and like make meals for people. Uh, but friends, there's this thing that people used to talk about called the Protestant work ethic. <laughs> and what that was is out of the Protestant Reformation, guys like Martin Luther recaptured a vision for seeing your job and your calling as God's call on your life, as valid and as meaningful as God's call on the local pastor. And that's what sparked this thing called the Protestant work ethic. You know, Martin Luther used to famously teach, God does not need your good works, but your neighbor does. I'd encourage you this week, uh, if you've got a job or you have a calling, which, full disclosure, everyone in the room does, are you seeing that as your primary place of service? You know, what's, what's the greatest commandment? To love God and to love your neighbor. Uh, friends, the most obvious way that many of us love our neighbor is by how well we work at our job. You loving your neighbor is doing a good job. I mean, think about it. If you went into the gas station here in town and you were like, can you fill it up with regular? And the lady comes out and she just starts squirting gasoline all over your car. You say, oh, oh, did you not want me to do that? You'd say, what's wrong with you? You would say, you doing a poor job in your job makes me feel unloved, right? But who here loves great customer service, right? Hey, I'd be happy to. Can I, can I wash your window, you know? You want it, Phil, thank you so much for coming here, right? Great customer service is actually one of the ways <laughs> that you and I love people. The question is, do you see your job and your calling in that light, that this is the way that I love people? I would suggest to you that if you reread Daniel, you will see that that is how he sees his job. Uh, Daniel, unfortunately, is not going on a short-term mission trip. His life is the short-term mission trip and he is stuck in Babylon, and he is figuring out how to serve the people in his sphere of influence. And what's amazing is, of course, because he's willing to use his sphere of influence that way, he ends up influencing the most powerful man in the universe other than God, right? It's Nebuchadnezzar. It's the ruler of the Babylonian empire. But all Daniel was doing was seeing his sphere of influence and his job as the place of service. You know, youth, are you seeing your school like that? Adults, are you seeing your job that way? Um, 
friends, you know, it's like if you start seeing your job that way, it will be a catalyst for your faith. I'm, I'm telling you, it's like, um, have you ever not flipped over a pancake? You know, have you ever been grilling a pancake on a griddle? And what happens if you don't flip the pancake over? You can start smelling it. Can't you just burnt pan- pancake? It's terrible. But if you can flip the pancake and see your job in that light, friends, you will love your job in a profoundly different way than you do right now. Okay, so that's my uh, third suggestion to you. A fourth sort of catalyst, you know, if you can track with me for, for deeper faith on your faith journey, is reaching others. One of the most uh, profound experiences of my life that I really treasure uh, was several years ago, somebody came up to me and they said, you know, you know, what's Christianity all about? And of course, that started because they knew I was a pastor, right? And I know that many of us are not in that same situation, uh, but I said, well, you know, have you ever read the Bible? And they said, no. And I said, well, did you get raised in the church? And they said, no. And I said, well, do you know what the message of Christianity is? And they said, no, not really. And I said, the message of, you can write this down. I said, the message of Christianity is two simple messages. Cheer up, you're worse than you think. (laughs) And cheer up, you are more loved in Christ Jesus than you dare imagine. I'm pulling that from an old pastor named Jack Miller. And I love that summary of the gospel because you know what the guy told me? I said, you know, cheer up, you're worse than you think. And you know what he said? He said, well, I know that's true. And then I said, but do you know you're more loved by God than you dare imagine? And he said, that one, I don't know. And so for about three or four months, every morning at five o'clock in the morning, he and I would meet at Waffle House. And we would have an all-star breakfast. If you've never been to Waho, you are missing out in this life. (laughs) Do we have Waffle Houses here? We do not. I don't even know what the cultural reference is for Waffle House. It ain't good but you eat it, right? You have a restaurant like that that's not really good, but you enjoy it? Well, at Waffle House, what we did is we read through the Gospel of John together for three or four months. So, friends, I guess what I wanna, he, he became a Christian, and we baptized his family, it's beautiful. The reason I share that story is not because I want you to be like me. I guess what I wanna share with you is, have you ever actually led somebody to Jesus or talked to them about Jesus? Uh, It is a catalytic change in your faith. And one of the reasons you may be stuck right now and you may feel a little spiritually conflicted is because instead of embracing suffering, you're avoiding it. Instead of embracing deep community, you're avoiding it. Instead of seeing your job as the place of your calling by God, you're hating it. And instead of reaching towards other people, you're avoiding them. Uh, friends, sharing Jesus is one of the most enjoyable things a believer can do. I mean, you know, do you guys like sports? Do you guys like sports? Imagine you like sports, okay? Well, imagine if South Medford won the state high school football championship this year, but you couldn't tell anybody. How would that make you feel? Part of the joy of winning is rubbing it in the face of the North Medford people. <laughs> right? I can't believe I didn't get an amen on that. <laughs> but friends, a part of the joy of the Lord is being able to tell people about the joy of the Lord. Right? If you read Daniel in Daniel chapter four, 
Daniel is constantly talking to the king about who the true God is. He's being very respectful. He says, oh, king, you're gonna, you just had a terrible dream, and it's about how terrible you are, and it's about how wicked you are, and it's about how your kingdom's gonna collapse, and you're gonna go insane. That's what the dream was about, and Daniel had to tell him that. But Daniel says, he starts off, he says, oh, Lord, may this dream be about your enemies and not you, because the news is really bad. <laughs> you know what he's telling him? He's telling him, oh, king, you're worse than you think, buddy. And then he goes down in verse 27. This is chapter four, verse 27. Uh, and he starts to share the message of God's truth. He says, therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins. Practice righteousness so that your iniquities would be gone and show mercy to the oppressed. Then perhaps you may lengthen your prosperity. You know, for him, sharing God's truth was full of grace and truth, right? And of course, does Nebuchadnezzar follow that counsel? Well, not at first, but he does eventually. My friends, there's a whole lot of hope in that story for you. If you share the gospel, you know, God's word says his word does not return void. You know, people may push back, they may hate it, um, but here's the thing, the gospel has legs and it just keeps chasing people down. <laughs> Does God really love me that much? But friends, have you had the joy of talking to someone about that? You know, let me just sort of finish up with my last catalyst. And I know this may seem a little strange, but you know, if you look at the story of Daniel, what's fascinating to me is Nebuchadnezzar's goal, you know, this big bad king, right? His goal is actually not exactly maybe what you think it would be. Nebuchadnezzar's goal in life is to unify the world. World unity is Nebuchadnezzar's goal. And so this comes up all throughout the book of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar wants to take over all of the known world, and he wants people from every nation, language, and tribe to be a part of his glorious empire, and he wants them to be unified around the glory of the Babylonian empire of which he is the figurehead. And so famously, when he makes the golden statue, he says, make it in my statue because I'm gonna unify this world. What this world needs is unity, and buddy, I'm gonna bring it. But what Daniel knows, and what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego know, and what the prophetic stuff in the second half of Daniel will show, is every human kingdom will fall one day. In fact, there's gonna be a stone cut out of a mountain by no human hand. And God's gonna throw this stone and all the kingdoms of this world are gonna fall. And in his place is gonna be a beautiful mountain and the peoples shall flow to it. You see, the last catalyst that I would suggest that you have to have is you have to have gospel teaching. You see, because in Daniel's life, his goal is not just to think much of himself or use his sphere of influence. If that was the only thing, we wouldn't need chapters seven through 12. He could just live in those stories. What chapters seven through 12 talk about is the deeper reality that there is going to be one day a son of man, a human who somehow comes from the clouds of heaven who will be presented to God himself, the ancient of days. 
And in Daniel chapter seven in our passage, something beautiful happens that you may not have understood. And if you look at Daniel chapter seven in your lap, it says, behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him, to this human being, this son of man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Friends, Nebuchadnezzar wanted to unify the world around his definition of justice and grace and truth. But what Daniel knew that he didn't, that Nebuchadnezzar didn't, was that there was only one man who can unify the world that is worthy of all of the praise of every ethnic group in this world, whether you are male or female, young or old, there's only one man that can unify this world that is worthy of the praise from every nation, language, and tongue. And Daniel saw him as the son of man. And friends, if you read the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you read the New Testament, Jesus's favorite title to give himself is he calls himself the what? the son of man, and he's not just saying, I am a human being like you. What Jesus Christ is saying is that I am the son of man. In Daniel, who does the ancient of days give the kingdom to? Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man. How can this be a son of man and come from heaven? It's because he's fully God and man. You see, what Daniel needed to know What Daniel needed to know was his story was wrapped up in the bigger story. And he didn't see it as clearly as you do. Paul says that we have the mystery of the ages revealed to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know who the son of man is. And not only was he victorious, he died for our sins and came back from the dead so that his spirit could live in you so that you can see your suffering differently, so that you can lean into the community that is multi-ethnic. It is the people of God. Every person who bows the name of Jesus is part of your community and family. And you serve in your places of calling, whether it's school or job or in your retirement. You serve for the glory of King Jesus. And you reach out to people to tell him how your story is really a part of Jesus' story. Uh, Friends, that's an invitation. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I thank you for the book of Daniel. And Jesus, I praise you that you are the son of man. And Lord, I declare on behalf of everyone in this room that you are worthy. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would be preparing our kids, our youth, our teachers, our administrators for this upcoming year. Uh, Father, would you give them boldness and courage? Father, would you give, give each one of them a community of faith that would have their backs? And Father, would you give them courage? And Jesus, you are worthy. Amen.